been in this series called Holy. As I was studying this week, I was reading on a site. You could go on for Christians and you could ask different questions. And this lady asked this question online that I thought was right in line with where my heart was for this message, which is that God is holy and it means that his thoughts are not always like ours. And his ways are not always like ours. And I want to just make sure we know what that means. And, and so this lady asked this question. Here was her dilemma. She said, I'm writing to you as a woman who has been married for many years, who has children. My children are almost grown. And I have just recently found out that my husband has committed adultery. And that he's leaving me and he's marrying another woman. And I don't know what to do with myself or my kids. But I want you to tell me that God will punish him. And when I read that, my heart broke. But yet I understood it. Because if you've ever been through hurt, if you've ever been through loss at the expense of someone else, then the natural tendency is to want to know that someone is going to have to pay for the injustice that was done in life, right? There, there seems to be a part of us that says... That someone is going to have to pay. But can I tell you that I believe this woman was trying to use the scripture that says give place for the vengeance of God. But I don't think she knew what she was talking about. I, I don't think she understood what she was asking. She was saying, please tell me that God's going to make this man pay. And I thought about myself. Because anytime people are wanting somebody to pay, I think about myself. And I think about what would happen if God made me pay. And every time I think about if God makes me pay, I find that what God does is He meets me with love and forgiveness and goodness. And, and so my heart broke for her. In fact, I'll tell you this, that when I preach on the goodness of God and the love of God and the forgiveness of God, I get more flack than any other messages I preach. <laughs> And in fact, I'll tell you that there are times where people say, Kevin, are you sure? Are you sure that God is that good? I'm like, yes, I'm sure. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that he's better than I even imagined him to be. Amen. That I, I know that he's good, but I think he's better Amen. than what I've got him figured out to be. That he's more forgiving than I've made him out to be. He's more loving than I've made him out to be. In fact, I don't think I can exaggerate that. I might be wrong about something, but I don't think I can exhaust the love of God. That might be why Paul said, I wish that you would grasp the, the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. I don't think we can reach the end of it. And so as I'm thinking about that, Kevin, have... Have I preached too much on the goodness of God? Sometimes people say, you know, you've got you've to offset that with the holiness of God. And as though it, the holiness of God is the split personality of God. It's that wrathful side that unfortunately all too often we like as long as it has to do with other people. Isn't it funny that we are all in favor of the wrath of God as long as it has to do with it being poured out on someone else and not us? And so I wonder if we've missed something. You know, in Scripture, I believe that God is dealing with us throughout Scripture. In fact, I 
preached last week on Abraham, and I said that when Abraham heard God, he did not know God. And somebody said, I never thought about that. I didn't realize that when Abraham had his first encounters with God, he didn't know Him. He was getting to know Him. And I believe that all of Scripture is actually us getting to know God. There's a beautiful little baby at the back. I just met him. He's like three months old, I think. And his parents love him, I'm sure. But he really doesn't know them. He's just born. But give him 18 years. <laughs> and he'll know them better than anyone. He'll know them better than any of us. And how will he know them better? He'll say, because I've spent my entire life with them. And not only do I know their words, but I know their ways. And here's the important thing. Is that if you know the way of God, then even when the word of God is not clear, you can follow him. If you just know his heart, I believe that's why it says in Scripture, it says that if the eye is dark, then the body is dark. And if the light is darkness, then how great is the darkness? That was a lot, wasn't it? <laughs> if you do not see God as who he is, you will be confused about yourself, other people, and all of life. So, so in Scripture, God is moving us where he wants us to be. I, I don't deal with my, my son is 16 now. I don't deal with my 16-year-old the way that I dealt with him when he was five years old. I had to deal with him at five as a five-year-old, but we were moving to a day where I didn't want to deal with him as a five-year-old anymore. I wanted to deal with him as a man. And I want to deal with him in a way in which he carries my heart into what he does in life. He doesn't have to do everything the way I want it done. He doesn't have to be who I want him to be. What I want him to do is carry my heart. And I'm like, what do you want to do? You know, what do, what do you want to do in life? And, and so I want him to carry my heart. And one of the coolest things for me as a, as a dad right now is actually watching him grow up. And hearing him respond to... The sound of my voice, which is an amazing thing. Do you know that God wants to get all of us to the place where we respond to the sound of his voice? Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not going to make a declaration today about spanking kids and not spanking kids. All I'm saying is spanking a 21-year-old is awkward. <laughs> like it's weird. And I think most of us realize that God did not intend to spank us. But he intended to hear us respond to the sound of his voice. That he's been moving us in a, in a direction. But I will tell you that in the midst of moving us in that direction, that I believe there are places where we have misunderstood his intentions. In fact, I'll give you just a couple right away to tell you that God can be doing something in Scripture, and if we're not careful, we will miss it. Jesus is known as the son of, ooh, some of y'all are really good. This is a really smart group, and that's why y'all didn't do what I thought you were going to do. I asked, he is the son of, and most everyone you ask will say he is the son of God. But if you look at scripture and at, look at how he refers to himself, his favorite way of referring to himself is son of man. Isn't it interesting that he refers to himself as son of 
man. And most people only know him as son of God. I'm just going to leave that there in case somebody wants to get to know him that way. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he says, when you pray, say, our father. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Now, at that point, none of y'all take any pulse. But if you were a Jew in that day, and he said to pray this way, our Father, you'd have been like, oh, hold up. What you talking about? Some of y'all are too, yeah, I was thinking that too. <laughs> Alicia said, what you talking about, Willis? Y'all too young for that, aren't you? You don't even know what we're talking about. Do you know? Okay. <laughs> The Jews would have been like, what, what you talking about, Father? We don't know Him as Father. If you go through all of the Old Testament, you, you'd find very little reason. I think there's one time, I can't remember where it is now, that, that that word Father is used. The Jews didn't know God as Father. They knew Him as holy. But they didn't know Him as Father. And Jesus says, I need to introduce you to the one who is holy. Guess what? The Holy One is your Abba Daddy Father. Mm. And then, people search this thing out. And do you know that because of the different conversations in the Scripture about slavery, that there were Christians who believed that it was absolutely permissible to put people in slavery. And they defended it with the Word of God. Chapter and verse. But there were other Christians who came along. And they said, hold on. Something's wrong here. Because when we see God, we don't see slavery. What we see is a God who died to set men free. When we see the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, we see God taking people out of slavery into freedom. And so you had people who were defending slavery with the Word of God and the people who were trying to set captives free with the Word of God. All using the same book. Can I just tell you, when you get on your high horse or when you hear me get on mine and say, y'all just need to read the book. Can I tell you, people have been reading the book and been getting it really confused. And I believe it is because we have not started with who God is. So I want to take you to Leviticus chapter 25. I'm going to take you way back. In Leviticus chapter 25, the laws are being established for the people of Israel. And God says this. He says that every seven years, the land needs to rest. The land needs to rest. And so they would work up to the sixth year. And on the seventh year, they would let the crops rest. They wouldn't plant anything. They wouldn't harvest anything. You could go out and pick something but you had to trust God that he would provide in year six for year seven. And even so, when you planted the crops, that you could get that harvest in the future. Ooh, that's a lot of trust in God, isn't it? And God said after every seven of those seven years, God said this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to consecrate the fifth year. And to proclaim a release to the inhabitants. I'm in verse 10 right now. And it shall be a jubilee for you. Anyone ever heard of jubilee? The year of jubilee. It is 
the 50th year. And every 50 years, let me tell you this amazing thing that God established in his word. He said, in the 50th year, the land needs to rest again. And if you were put yourself back in that day, not today, put yourself back in that day. You're like, uh, hold up, God. We, we, we already didn't plant last year in the 49th year because seven times seven is 49. So we didn't plant last year. And now you tell us not to plant this year. So if we don't plant this year, y'all doing the math, that's three years, right? That we can't plant. We're going to have to trust God. He says, I, I know that's a problem for you, but I'm going to provide more in the 48th year that it'll take care of the 49th, the 50th, and when the crops come in in the 51st year. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Did any of y'all know where you're going? Some of y'all were sitting there going, I can't say amen to that. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, but he said this. He said, you don't own the land. I own the land. And I've given the land to the people and I've established it in their tribes. And you can sell that land or you can lease that land. But at the Jubilee year, that land has to revert back to its current owner. Hmm, we don't do nothing like that, do we? Now, some of y'all know about a 30-year mortgage. Some of you know about a 15-year mortgage. And you're thinking, okay, I just got to keep going until I get this thing paid off and in 30 years. Well, let me tell you about a Jubilee mortgage. A Jubilee mortgage says this, if you buy a piece of land or lease a piece of land, you have to base it not on a 30 or a 15 year mortgage, but on where the Jubilee year is, because at the end of that time, that land's going back to who it originally belonged to. I know, I did the same thing. What? Oh, and by the way, if you borrowed money you would borrow it based on the Jubilee year, which means that if you borrowed money and the Jubilee year was 10 years out, you had 10 years to pay. Or in the Jubilee year, guess what happened? The debt was forgiven. And if you could not pay your bills, there was no bankruptcy. You couldn't file bankruptcy. What did you do? You gave yourself to slavery in order to pay off your debt and it was based on the Jubilee year. Now, some of y'all are going, Kevin, where are you going with this? Y'all must not think like I think. Because can I just tell you how I would think for a moment? I'm thinking that if I have borrowed some money on land and the Jubilee year is in three years, I might not pay my bills. <laughs> Because I'm thinking, if I can wait this thing out to Jubilee, I don't have to pay anyway. <laughs> and if I own land and somebody needed to borrow something, I'd be sitting, I better hurry up and get mine because when this Jubilee year comes, I'm going to have to give it all back. And you could see how people would start kind of manipulating that thing. And so I, when I'm thinking about this, that the land has to rest, that the land is returned to its original owners, that borrowed money is forgiven, that people who are in slavery are set free. I'm like, God, that's almost too good to be true. So I asked myself this question. Did they really do it? Did they really do Jubilee? And guess what I found? There's no evidence anywhere that they ever did. 
there's no evidence in Scripture that the people of God actually carried out the will of God for Jubilee. Because it would have cost him something. Because it's not in our nature to forgive debts. It's in our nature to collect debts. It's not in our nature to set people free. It's in our nature to hold on to things. And so it was hard for them. Just like it's hard for us. And there is no evidence anywhere in Scripture that they ever did it. In fact... They went into captivity in Babylon and God said, you're going to be there for 70 years. And the reason you're going to be there for 70 years is because there were 10 years that you didn't let the land rest. And so since you didn't let it rest on your accord, it'll be resting on someone else's accord. Yeah, you with me, right? They never did it. And when I look at that, I say, God, we're just like them. We don't want to set people free. We don't want to let people go. We want to hold on to things. And so you know what they did? When the Jubilee year came, and by the way, because they didn't do it, they've lost track of when it is. And so now people argue and can't even figure out when the Jubilee year is coming. It's gotten so confused. So you know what they would do? When it was time for Jubilee, when they could still remember, they would go out and they would blow that shofar. They would declare that it's a jubilee and they go right back to business as usual. Isn't that just like us? That we will stand up and we will declare the word of God with such conviction. And we will go back to business as usual. And we will hold on to our unforgiveness And we will hold on to our debts. And we will declare that the word of God is true and God is good. And yet we don't do what he asked us to do. So I move you forward and Jesus comes into the synagogue. In Luke chapter 4, we've worked on these verses before. He comes into the, the synagogue And he opens the scroll and he turns to the book. Some of you are familiar with this. I've read it before. And he reads from this portion in the book of Isaiah. It is for us, Isaiah 6, chapter 61. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel or the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And the people that were in the synagogue wanted to stand and cheer because they said, he's talking about Jubilee. And he is saying that this is Jubilee. And they're like, this is our favorite chapter in the Bible. It was one of their favorite portions in Scripture. Did you know that? You know why it was so important to them? I want to go over and read to you in Isaiah. I've read it to you before. I want to read it to you again. Isaiah chapter 61. Here is how it originally is stated in the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And this was their favorite part. In the day of vengeance to our God. Do you know why Isaiah 61 was their favorite, one of their favorite places in all of Scripture? Because they not only were looking for a jubilee, but they were looking for that day when God would get the ones who had gotten them. They were in captivity to Rome, and they were waiting. God's going to come, and he's going to get his vindication. He'll get our vindication. He will punish them for what they have done to us. And if you look back over in Luke chapter 4, Jesus says to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, and they're like, here it is. It's coming. It's our favorite part. And Jesus rolled it up, set it to the side, and he said, this is being proclaimed in your hearing. And they were like, wait a minute, what about vengeance? What about vengeance? Just like that woman a minute ago right in her story. What about vengeance? Where's the, where's the vengeance of God? And, and so Jesus begins to go on and he begins to tell them that this favor and this jubilee is going to be poured out even upon the Gentiles. And do you know that their excitement turned and in verse 28, their excitement turned to rage. Listen to what it said. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and they drove him out of the city. They led him to the brow of a hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down off of a cliff. Is anybody following me? He declared a jubilee. But he said, when I come, it's going to be for you. It's going to be for the Gentiles. It's going to be for the ones that you don't like. And they said, oh, no. No, huh? -uh. If you do not hold to the vengeance of God, then we'll take out our rage on you. And they tried to kill Jesus that day. Throw him off of a cliff because he refused to take out vengeance. Is there anybody listening that doesn't go, wow, wow. You see, I believe when we talk about vengeance and we talk about justice and all of those things, what we actually do is we make God in our image. And I read something on Facebook, and you shouldn't do that. <laughs> and I took a screenshot of it, and, and you shouldn't do that. Because it'll stir up things inside of you. But here's what it said. It says that, that we make God into our own image. And I said, yeah, that's true. And it said that, that we make God as one who is all mercy and no justice. All love and no wrath. All grace and no judgment. All accepting, no rejecting. All heaven and no hell. And when I look at that, my heart breaks like that woman who said, surely God is going to get vengeance on my husband right and I said you know what we do make God into our own image but it's us that likes justice and it's God who chooses mercy in fact in scripture he says that mercy triumphs over judgment and we like wrath and we store it up for people and I've told you before we say that there are special places in hell for people 
And I'm telling you, I don't want any special places in hell for people. In fact, I believe that I have a prayer much like it says in Scripture, where it is that God desires that none should perish, but all should have eternal life. I think there's something wrong if you want a special place in hell for people. And so I believe that it is us who holds and stores up wrath. It is God who stores up love. Hmm. I, I believe it is us that likes to judge. And it is God who pours out grace. Hmm. I, I believe that it is us who is quick to reject people. And it is quick for Jesus to say, whosoever will may come. So when I look, I say, you know what? We do have a habit of making God into our own image. But when we do, we make Him a God of justice, wrath, judgment, and rejecting. And what God was saying through Jubilee and what God is saying through Jesus is I am holy, but I am not what you think. You want judgment. You want justice. You store up wrath and unforgiveness. When I go to the cross, I will demonstrate to you that I am Jubilee. And when you ask me what I do with sin, I crucify it to a cross and I forgive it and it is done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> In Romans, Paul has to write to us because I still think there's some folks that don't get it. So I want to read these verses to you. Romans chapter 12, he's speaking about love. Let love be without hypocrisy in verse 9. In verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. And then he goes over in verse 14. Listen to what he says. Bless those who persecute you. Ooh, I don't like the sound of that. Bless those who persecute you. That's what Jesus did. Oh, but wait a minute, he ain't like us. Oh, yeah, see, he's holy. And if you don't get in touch with holy, you won't know what he's talking about. He said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who, re who weep. Be of the same minds with one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Look at verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil. To anyone. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. I looked up the word in Greek for anyone. You know what it means? Anyone. Yeah. It means anyone. It means no one's exempt. Never pay back evil for evil. I wonder if that's why Jesus is on the cross. Receiving the cursing and the beating. And yet he pours out no evil. But yet he absorbs it all. And says you can put whatever you want on me. I refuse to strike back. I refuse to get even. When he could have called down a legion of angels by the way. Never pay back evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of God. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You know what that word all means in Greek? 
Everybody's a Greek scholar today. All. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Keep listening. I'm coming back to that. Somebody said, oh, he's going to skip over that. I'm not skipping over it. I'll be back. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. More and more, what I believe about the wrath of God and the vengeance of God is this. One of the greatest ways to extinguish the violence of hate in the world is to overcome it with love. That in all the hate and the sin that is in the world that God is saying, would you please not retaliate? Would you please not do what is inside your fleshly nature to do? Would you please not do that? And he's not saying that because he's going to sit over there and say, don't do it, okay? Because in just a little bit, I'm going to do it for you. Some of that, that went right over your head. See, that's what some of us want. We're like, okay, God's telling me that I have no business exacting vengeance because I, I might let it get out of hand. And so God's saying, you don't do it. I'm going to get them later. Do you know what I look at when I read the Scripture? Is not a God who wants to get them later. It's a God who wants to cover our iniquity with the blood of Jesus Christ so that we might be set free. And that is foreign to us as Christians. It is foreign. And we want God to get people. And what I am saying to you is this. God established a jubilee because he said, you know what I want to do? I want to restore people. I want people to find rest. The land had to rest. He said, my people cannot rest because they are striving in sin. You know what I want as their father? I want them to rest. My people have given away their inheritance to the devil. You know what I want to do? Give them back their inheritance. My people have been burdened down by sin. You know what I want to do? Set them free. My people have been burdened by unforgiveness. You know what I want to do? Forgive them. Jesus comes and he says the same thing. And he does the same thing on the cross. And then he looks at us and he says, Will you please not take out your vengeance? Because here is what I have found. You see, I know my sin better than any of you. I know my sin. And for me to hear a Savior, when I would have to stand in His presence even now, to stand in His presence, you say, how in the world can I stand? I think that's why when people see the glory of God, they fall on their face. And they say, I'm undone. I am, I'm in pieces. God, you are holy. And we stand and we know who we are. And yet he reaches down in Isaiah, that prophet's case, he touches him with a coal. 
Isaiah says, my lips are unclean. What does God do? He touches his lips with coal. You think that would destroy you, wouldn't you? Uh, if I came at your mouth with a hot coal and tongs and said, hold on just a minute. This is going to be good to you. <laughs> You'd be like, no thanks. But he touches him with the coal and it doesn't create a blister on his lip. You know what it does? He sends out a decree and says, is there anybody who will go for me? And Isaiah says, oh, <laughs> I'll go. Why? Because when the coal touched his lips, it says that his sins were forgiven. Mm. That's the justice of God, y'all. It's when Jesus touches something, the person that he touches doesn't even want to go back to the way they used to be. They don't want to go back. And when he touches them, you're like, what in the world is that person's lips going to be used for at that point? Isaiah is the prophet who speaks more of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, than any other prophet. Isn't it interesting that the one who has what he declares is the foulest mouth of all becomes the greatest proclaimer of the gospel and the Messiah's coming? Wow. And so then you ask me, well, Kevin, what is this wrath and what is this vengeance? And I will tell you that if I look at the Song of Solomon, here is what I see. It says, your love is stronger than the grave. Your love is like fire that many waters cannot quench your love. You see, when, when I come in contact with a holy God and I come in contact with Him through this Word, let me tell you what happens to me. I'm like, oh my goodness. You love me? I don't deserve that. It, it becomes nothing about me. If it's anything about me, it's like I'm undone. And yet He says, yeah. But you see, He who knew no sin became sin. So that you might become the righteousness of God. He said, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to make you holy. And I believe that the greatest vindication of God is not in punishment, but in forgiveness. That it that in God's forgiveness and in his mercy, that is the place where sin is judged. The most extreme. On the cross, they threw everything at Jesus. They threw everything at him. And he took it. And he died. And he rose again. To tell the devil, you got nothing on me. And he rises victoriously. Yeah. So I can't tell you all of the implications of this, but I want to tell you a few, and then I'd love for you to go back and, and, and really say, God, what are you doing in Jubilee? And how can I be an instrument of Jubilee to the world? How can I give people rest? How can I forgive people? 
How can I not hold grudges? How can I let things go? And then you look at the life of Jesus and say, oh my goodness, he is jubilee. Jesus was jubilee. That's what he did. The implications are this. There's probably some of you who are in the room. And every time something goes wrong, you think God's going to get you. Because you've been told he's holy. And surely he'll come get you. And what I'm telling you is this. That a holy God is a whole God who wants to make you whole. So when he's coming, he's coming. Oh, let me assure you, he's coming for you. He's been coming for you. But it's not like you expected. He's been coming for you. Coming to you. That he might take your sins and wash them in his blood and make you whole again. He's the only one I know that can take red blood and wash black sin and make it whiter than snow. Mm. So yeah, he's coming for you. But he's coming to make you whole. And then what does that have to do with some of you? Some of you haven't come to Jesus because you didn't think you could. And I'm saying today you should come. Today you should put aside all the excuses and you should come. And you should give your life to God. Because if he would do that to your sin, imagine what he'll do to the rest of your life. Yeah. And then some of those people that as Christians... We are some of the best to say, "Mm mm-hmm, you just wait. God's going to get them. Can we stop, please? Honestly, can, can, can today, everybody that's in the room, I mean, it would go a long way if just the people that are in this room and that are hearing us on Facebook Live, if we would just say, you know what? We're going to quit trying to see people get punished. We're going to quit trying to see people get what's coming to them. And actually, we're going to look our enemies in the face and say you know what I bless you I bless you and I want nothing but good for you and that person's going to say do what and they're going to be like ah something has happened and you're like yeah something has happened I received Jesus and he forgave my sin and so now I've forgiven yours and they say but I didn't even ask and you say you didn't have to I couldn't carry that load I said it at the cross And so I'm setting you free. I wonder if some stuff hasn't changed in our life because we're still holding on to the fact that maybe God will get them. And I'm saying, maybe you should make room for God. And in making room, if you're not careful, you know what he'll do? If they'll let him, he'll forgive them just like he forgave you. He'll forgive them just like he forgave you. But you got to be good with that. And a lot of times that's why we hold on to unforgiveness. Because in reality, we know that God is not like us. (laughs) And we know that if we don't hold him accountable, that left in his hands, he might forgive them. And we're like, oh no. Mm, If he's not going to do it, I'll do it. I got it. You don't do it, God, that's fine. I got it. As long as they're alive, you can count on me. 
can I just ask you to examine your life and see if there is anybody that you're holding unforgiveness with? If there's anybody that you've been holding on to resentment, you've been holding on to hate, you've been holding them responsible for something, I'm going to ask you today, would you declare jubilee over that? Would you declare the favorable year of the Lord Jesus over that? And will you let it go? And then, as a people of God, can I ask you just one more thing? Will you go out into the world and will you find people who can't let stuff go and talk to them about Jubilee and Jesus? Amen. Will you talk to them? Because I can tell you what, they live in, in an earthly hell. The people holding on to unforgiveness, whoo, they are living in torment. What a beautiful thing that you might go and set them free. Amen. To, the, to the person who nobody else will let go of. That everybody else brings up their sin. That everybody else reminds them of all the wrong that they've done. Will you go and declare jubilee over their life? And will you say, I know that there are people who would just soon see you be punished. And you guys realize that when people do bad things, there are consequences to bad things, right? So, so that doesn't mean that where there's murder, where there's abuse, where there are things that those people don't have to be. They're separated from the community. Why? Because you hurt the community. So you, you have to be separated. But we have to separate that from our unforgiveness. Because God forgave David, a murderer, and calls him a man after God's own heart. And it's somehow we have to wrestle with the fact, too, that we could look at the most vile and evil of people and forgive them because in them we see how much God has forgiven us. One last thing, I'll say this. Most of us have never committed murder in terms of actually taking someone's life. But like Jesus said, the wrath that you have stored up for some people, yeah, that was murder. Yeah, yeah. That talking about people that goes on all the time, yeah, that's called character assassination. Yeah. And that stuff needs to be no place in the believer's life. Because I will close with this. Praise team, will you come? We'll receive the offering. Will you guys stand? <clears throat> he's, that, he's that holy fire. And here's what happens. <clears throat> that holy fire consumes you. And then you become one who has been consumed by the love of God. Is there anybody in the room that you could say, that's me? <laughs> You're like, yep, he got me. Totally consume me with the fire of his love. And now there's something burning inside of you. You're like, I, I didn't know it, but I was an ember before I ever got there. Because I've been burning with the love of God. His love has set my heart on fire. Well, what about the people who refuse God? That love is also a fire. It's an all-consuming fire. And the amazing thing is, the same Jesus who was jubilee to some was a fire to others that caused them to want to kill him. So, here is the invitation as we also receive the offering. Can you allow 
Jubilee to come to your life? Can you allow Jubilee to come to other people's lives? Can you put aside judgment in order that God might bring true justice, which is the forgiveness of sin?